Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. Allie B. And Eric V. Today we're joined by our very special guest, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Awesome, man. Cool. Where are you from, Ben? Yourself? We're doing, I think we're all doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah, pretty well. Good, good. Yeah. Where are you from, Ben? Uh, I currently re- I currently reside in Denver, Colorado. Nice. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. I was just there in July. Love Denver. Yeah. Great oh, city. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I love it out here. <clears throat> I'm originally from uh, Michigan. Okay. And I uh, also uh, spent some time uh, living outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. So I've been around... And I also spent six years in Ohio, so I've kind of made my rounds. Nice. What has better weather, yeah. uh, Colorado or Michigan? Colorado. Uh, winter winters are much better in Colorado. Hmm. Yeah. The the winters are pretty harsh in Michigan. Oh yeah, yeah. that that lake yeah. effect snow that'll kill you. Right. Right. Exactly. So when were you first introduced to recovery? So, um, technically, I was first introduced to recovery um, at a young age. I always heard that my grandfather was a, um, my paternal grandfather was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and he would go to meetings. And but during my lifetime, I never, I never saw him pick up a drink within the thirty years that I knew him nice. before he passed. But um, I just hear story after story. Um, but I never really um, viewed it as something that I'd have to worry about down the road, you know. Mm-hmm. But if somebody buddy asked if I had alcoholism that ran in the family, you know, I always had to say my paternal grandfather was an alcoholic. So, um, and my dad always mentioned like him going to the rooms and this and that but I never actually witnessed or ever talked to my grandfather about it so Hmm. it was one of those things that was kind of just like you knew grandpa didn't drink and he was an alcoholic but and he went to meetings occasionally but I, I I just um I just never knew him to drink. So, but all my aunts and uncles and everybody on that side of the family, they all drank. Mm-hmm. So I never witnessed recovery in my daily life. I just heard uh, things about it. And then I, I really didn't, um, it introduced myself to recovery until I had multiple run-ins with the law mm. and I was almost, um, pushed into um, <laughs> doing something different for myself as well as for others. All right. And uh, how long have you been clean? Excuse me, can you repeat that? How long have you been clean or sober or both? I, I've been sober since November uh, 15th, 2014. All right, man, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so that that night I got my third DUI, mm-hmm. and I was taken to the, to the um, city jail, and 
I I spent a week in their um, city jail before I called anybody to get bonded out or anything. Mm. Because I was just so, I was embarrassed of myself and I was embarrassed, you know, for everybody I was associated with. Like, well, because I don't think a lot of people viewed me as an alcoholic at times. Um, because I was more of a problem drinker, binge drinker, and I, I never really felt the need all the time to like, you know, get that next drink. It was more, you know, where's the next party? Where's this or that? So I got caught up in the lifestyle and then, you know, one, one big thing would happen either you know, a triumph or uh, something that went bad in my life. And I'd want to either celebrate or drown the sorrow. So I'd go straight to alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. and it became a bigger problem. When when I first started drinking, though, it was just for social, social camaraderie and like going out and having a good time with friends and this and that and meeting new people. Um, but I think a lot of um, my anxiety and a lot of um, self-doubt and self-confidence and self-esteem and that, those sort of issues all strive from multiple moves to having to meet new people and go out and being a shy person as I am mm-hmm. and uh, kind of uh, timid. And, you know, I, I felt it loosened me up and like got me out there. So, so, um, so yeah. And then it just it stemmed from there. And I, uh, so I can talk a little bit about my DUIs and how my drinking progressed through years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Take it okay, away. Um, yeah. So I originally grew up in Michigan and my, my dad was, um, worked for UPS. And so he got transferred when I was about, eight or nine, it was 1991. We moved to a suburb of Toledo, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And there I, I, um, I met friends pretty quick, you know, I was still young and that sort of thing. So everybody was like greeting me as I came in the classroom. It was the middle of the school year. So it was a lot easier at that time just because, you know, I was the new kid in the class and everybody wanted to like, come greet me but then again I was in third grade yeah so so I spent six years there and um and everything was good I was in I was big into sports so I was playing like three sports like baseball soccer and hockey Mm -hmm. and so every week every weekend I was you know into that and um but when we moved to moved to Toledo, we um, we we kind of stopped going to church. Mm. Or, um, didn't really find a church to like belong to, you know. And um, so I kind of lost a lack of faith in that um, sense. 
or a lack of connection mm-hmm. to um, any any sort of faith. And then um, in '97, we moved down to Atlanta, Georgia. You know, I was um, I was going to a school that was like three times the size of the high school that I would be going to because mm-hmm. this was two week this was two weeks before my freshman year. So I I was kind of just throw, thrown into the mix. Um, in a school with 3,000 kids, you know. And when I moved to Atlanta, and that was a big change for me, going from a small city kid in Michigan to, like, you know, a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia, where there's, you know, we're class 5A. I've never heard of such thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, Do we even have 5A schools here? I don't even know what that is, yeah. I don't think so. I think the biggest we have in our state is three. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's kind of how four. it was where I came from. You know, I don't even think they reached A. Wow. <laughs> so it was, we had yeah. B schools. So, <laughs> D schools. Right. Right. So I, I was kind of overwhelmed when put in that situation of, uh, getting there two weeks before school started, not really knowing anybody. And all these people came up, and I realized they all had their cliques already because they all went to middle school together and came into the high school. So they already had their groups together. So I kind of had to form my own, you know. And so um, I didn't start... I, I met a few fr- good friends that are still friends to this day um, to me and supportive and have actually stopped drinking themselves. So mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll, I'll get in a little bit um, more of that later. But um, I uh, didn't start drinking really until I was 17. So I was, you know... I, I was a year behind everybody as well. So my maturity level, um, uh, or a year, what should I say? I was 17 in, as a sophomore in high school. So I was a year uh, older than everybody in my class. So I was hanging out all with, um, and it just happened to be this way that I started hanging around older kids, you know, people that, so when I was a junior in high school, they were seniors in like in college already, you know, but, um, so I was 17 at a Halloween party and I started drinking and I've heard stories about this night mm-hmm. and I don't, but first night that I drank, I blacked out. I don't remember. Like, I just hear what people tell me, mm-hmm. you know, going, going to a, a grocery store parking lot, <laughs> bringing out a waffle ball bat and swinging it around, pretending there's people out there. Like, I don't remember any of it, but, <laughs> you know, heard stories after stories and it's like, I, you know, and I just thought, oh, well, yeah, I need to learn how to manage my alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. maybe this was a first time drunk type thing, you know? And so as time went on, uh, 
you know, I, I it, of course it progressed and I just never, never really gained knowledge of where my limit was when it came to drinking, you know, it was mm -hmm. all, all out, you know, go big or go home mm -hmm. is the saying, you know, it's like, are you ready? Let's do it. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. okay. So, and then, you know, and then of course, when I was younger, it was, I, I'd be hung over for a day and then the, you know, so I wouldn't drink that next day, but then when the next, when the next weekend came or whatever, I was ready to go. Cause I, during the, during high school and that sort of thing, I was only drinking like pretty much on the, on the weekend mm -hmm. and, uh, in, and during the summer, I drank more frequently, but we were out and I'm out on boats and, you know, so we were boating and drinking and that sort of thing and going camping and it, whatever we were doing, alcohol was always associated like in that summer or mm -hmm. those two summers in between my junior and senior year. Yeah. So, and then I graduated from high school and I made the choice to go to Western Michigan University, mm -hmm. where was where where I was from, because they had a good aviation school. And at the time, I was flying, I was uh, working on getting my private pilot license. Oh wow! And so I was looking to go in for aviation, and. Um, I was always interested in, uh, airplanes and that sort of thing. And, um, and so I went into aeronautical engineering at Western Michigan university. And I don't think I was, uh, I, oh, that's right. I, I went up there early because my grandmother had passed away in August. And so I went up there early and school didn't start until, you know, a month later. So I was up there and um, we, we hadn't even started school yet. And I ended up getting a minor in possession of alcohol. Mm. Um, and I, I had multiple minor in possession in possessions when I was up there, mm -hmm. uh, three or four. And, um, each one stemmed, yeah, each one stemmed, um, a different consequence. And I don't really recall which one stemmed which, mm -hmm. because I know I was on probation for like a year at one, but I never took it real seriously. You know, you slip through the cracks and then when you go visit the PO or whatever, he just, you know, make sure that you're sober and, uh, good go. And not just like schedule around the head type of thing, you know. Yeah. But, and I, I think I was only like intoxicated for a couple of them. There are a couple of them where I hadn't, hadn't been, began yet. And they just caught me in the act of like purchasing or grabbing alcohol because I was only 19 years old at the time, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, so, and then, um, let's see where um so yeah it just kind of stemmed from there and then i lived in the dorms my freshman year and i just um 
kept going out to parties and trying to get to meet people and that sort of thing. And got some friends. And then I just, um, after my freshman year, my parents lived on, uh, or they had, they just bought the house back that I grew up in when I was, when I lived there when I was nine years old. And it was on a lake, and they said, you know, you can move in there and take care of the place as long as you promise to take care of it and, you know, keep it up and that sort of thing, mow the grass. Um, I was <clears throat> I was able to stay there. Mm-hmm. And then I, so I ended up moving in there, and then I ended up, uh, the first a uh, couple semesters I was there, I my grades started to fall and I stopped going to class a lot of times. And uh, my aunt and uncle were living downstairs and I was living upstairs by myself. And, um, and I got placed on academic probation and um, and then I finally, I fought that and got off academic probation after my grade following semester. Mm-hmm. But, but then I decided to take a summer class and that summer class was, I don't know why I took calculus as a summer course because it was one of the toughest courses is like calculus two or three. And um, I just stopped going. Yeah. I just dropped out. I would too. Fuck and calculus. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, Who man. Needs that shit? Uh, I'd rather, yeah, at that point, I was uh, uh, rather be on the lake, you know, boating. We had a couple speed boats and we'd go and have keg parties on the sandbar and, you know, and we were just having a good time living it up, having fires on the beach and, and, and before I went to school I all had that in mind because my priorities weren't in line when I when I chose the school I was going to I got in a couple other schools and I probably would have been better off closer to home and closer um, just, just to fo- more focus on what I want to do in school rather than oh where's the party at or Hey, where's the uh, you know Thursday night football game or mm-hmm. the sat, uh, Saturday hockey game? Because they all had to because uh, it was a Division One school, so I thought that was pretty cool to like go to the games and stuff. You know, yeah. of course, there's always of course of course tailgating and drinking was always involved, so that was on top of my mind. Of course, and then I went to visit these other schools, and I just didn't see the you know <clears throat> see it happening. So. Um, yeah, so I lived on the lake for a while and that just progressed. And then after I wasn't going to school anymore, um, I took a few classes at community college there and that sort of thing. Finally, my parents said, enough's enough. You're moving back to Georgia with us. You know, Mm -hmm. we're coming up there and we're moving all your stuff out. And, and during this time, it's all kind of a blur to me. 
because it was so like surreal and I didn't ever saw this happening, but my parents just kind of came out there, cleared out the house and like shipped me off. I don't remember packing anything. I just, I just remember, Hey, you're going to Georgia. <laughs> That's, you know, you're going to live with your, back with your parents, which no kid like a uh, 20, 22, 23 years old, like doesn't want to hear, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I Eric, do you want to live with your parents again? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I once I got back there, I I started looking at schools there because I my parents always pushed for education, and they wanted me to finish my degree, um, whether it be aviation or whether whatever it be. So I looked around at local schools and kind of um, weighed out my options, and I ended up going to the Art Institute of Atlanta oh, nice. and nice. Um, getting a. Gra- I ended up graduating, getting graphic design degree. Okay. So I have a bachelor's in graphic design. It took me a little longer than it should have, of course, but. Um, so it was like, I graduated in 2009. So this was from like 2004 to 2009. So it took me about five years, which I had all my core curriculum already done um, when I was going to school for aviation. So all my core curriculum was out of the way. I took a aptitude test for math because they said, oh, if you take this and pass, well, then they asked me if I wanted to be a tutor because I like aced the test because I it was just basic math to me. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I was like, "Do you get paid?" They're like, "No." I was like, "Nope, not doing it." So yeah, fuck that. Yeah, so I I ended up getting a job, going to bartending school and getting a job as a bartender while I was like going to school. And then I started off bussing tables and waiting tables and then uh, worked my way up to management and like uh, running the bar, a steak and seafood restaurant. And I was into that job for a while. And then when I was, I was 23 years old, I believe, 2007. Mm -hmm. Correct correct me if uh, my uh, number uh, dates are off because at that time I I didn't really keep track of my dates and that sort of thing so um, but I, I got my first DUI I, I was on my way home from work one day at the steak and seafood restaurant and I knew this back way that had this winding road but it was faster but man, now that looking back on it, that road was super dangerous for any drunk driver. So those I, are the most uh, fun, though. Yeah, those are the yeah, those are the fun rides. Yeah, you know, like a shortcut, you know. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I was going out, and then it became where I was going out after work to the Applebee's next door, and. You know, getting two dollar tall boys and just 
pounding them until they closed. And I'd stay after close even, you know, because they knew me. So they were just like, uh, let's party. And then by the time I got home, you know, sometimes there'd be beer in my fridge and stuff. And I, I wouldn't stop. I would just keep on going until I pass out, you know. And a lot of this was just, you know, me me not being happy with who I was. Mm-hmm. And me not like, I didn't like myself when I drank. It was more to drink for people to like me and for me to stand out. I always had to be the life of the party, you know. And I wanted that attention. And maybe that has something to do with being the oldest child and just wanting attention and just wanting... You know, um, I, I, I don't know what it stemmed from, but it was, it, it, I think it was, I just always wanted people to like me. And that's what I thought I needed to do for people to like me. Mm-hmm. Oh, who can drink the most? Oh, Ben can drink the most, you know, like, oh, challenge him. And I was always up for a good dare. Always. Nice. So, I, I mean... I'd like to think that I was like, you know, one of the jackass, like uh, <laughs> Johnny Knoxville or something without a camera, you know. And I was just. That's a really you know, shitty aspiration, but I had the exact same thing. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. I think I was you know, because we didn't have cell phones at that time where no. everybody was taking video. I'd be screwed nowadays because <laughs> everything would be on video, you know? I'm yeah. Or you'd be YouTube or, famous. Yeah, yeah or one or the other. Yeah, yeah. That sensation, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah, that first DUI hit me pretty hard. Um, I came within, like, a foot of hitting a telephone pole into a ditch. And I, I um, pretty much was stuck in the car at that time. I, and then... Um, they didn't need to pry me out or anything, but I was in a ditch and I was in, I was pretty much passed out behind the wheel when they came and got me. And then I, I spent some time in jail at that point. And then I eventually got out and I was on probation and all the classes I had to take. And then, well, I think I, I had a two year probation or something mm-hmm. and you know I kind of I kind of find loopholes in the system and I my family doesn't think I'm drinking but you know I'm drinking on the side and then eventually I'm just like you know drinking the drink here and there with the family and it eventually just kind of like uh, fizzles out and I I want to say I was still on probation with my first DUI when I got my second DUI. Nice. On the same that's road. A, that's always solid. The, yeah, on the same road within, within a mile radius of one another. Uh, it was on the opposite side of the road, but I um, this time I flipped my car. I rolled it into a ditch. Uh, just overcorrected on a curvy road and um, I crawled out through the window and 
I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Um, it was like two o'clock in the morning and I think it was like father's day. So I didn't want to call my parents. Eventually I got up the urge, you know, I kind of wandered off in the woods and I called my parents. I'm like, I need you to come pick me up. Mm. And I fled the scene, you know, just being the scared, you know, 20, I don't, I don't remember, 24 year old at that time. And I was just like, I don't know, like, what are my options? You know, I don't want to go back to jail. I don't want to do this. So I, um, but I wasn't thinking at that time because I was just wasted, you know, mm. I think I blew a point two, three, five or something. Like Whoa. I was up there. Yeah. So I, I don't remember leaving the bar. I just remember, you know, I'm good. Like I don't remember who I was with. So I called my parents and they, um, tried to come pick me up. Well, the cops have the road surrounded. They have me surrounded. They're like, they have the road closed and all the roads closed around. You. I'm like, all right. So I just walk. I finally give myself up. I walk out with my hands above my head and just say, Hey, I was looking for help. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So they took me to jail. I didn't get charged with fleeing the scene, but I did. I did spend some time in there and then I got out on bail and then I had a warrant out for my arrest. So they eventually came and took me in and I think I spent a few weeks in there. I don't remember. I don't exactly recall how much it was because I was on a warrant rather than like a sentence. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was just waiting, waiting for court at that time without bail. Yep. So, um, yeah, so after that, you know, I, um, and I had sense of sobriety through, through, after my first and like during my first and like through my second. And in this time, I, um, when I crashed, I actually hurt my hand. So my hand was injured. I never told anybody, but when I went out, got out, I was playing a basketball game and somebody barely touched my hand and it ended up fracturing in three places. So anyways, that was the end of the uh, steak and seafood restaurant. I didn't end up going back there to work because I was just, uh, I, I was humiliated at the same time I had a broken hand, so I couldn't really do a whole lot. And so I was just kind of focused on school and finishing that up, and I got done with school. And uh, yeah, so I mean, the drinking just kind of—I mean, I got—I could tell drinking stories for days, but yeah, um, that—that's not—that's not my purpose here. I—I I just know there's a lot of people struggling out there mm-hmm. right now, and um, my my way to sobriety is kind of unconventional. So I, I just wanted to share it with people so that maybe they could relate to me mm. and um, kind of move forward um, because I I didn't end up going to the rooms and like I I I was introduced to the rooms um, 
after my second DUI, and I believe I went to like one one meeting, and I was like, "Oh, this ain't for me," because mm-hmm. people were talking about how they needed to drink and how they went off on heroin or and cocaine, or and I never had issues with any like all the hard drugs scared me mm-hmm. because I because I got so fucked up on you know on just booze, and you know I'd smoke smoke some weed at, from time to time but you know booze was my thing so I, I never understood anything else so it's hard for me to relate to those stories within the rooms you know yeah so I I was looking for a job after school having a hard time didn't I don't know that I uh, totally put myself out there um, but I had a friend out in Colorado said, Hey, I got a room available. You want to, uh, come out here? You can stay, uh, in the room for a couple months free. Nice. Um, Price is right. Until you, yeah, until you get your feet on the floor. And this was a buddy that I had known from, um, uh, Ohio when I lived there. Uh, from middle school, so we had known each other. I, I'm actually really good friends with him uh, still to this day. And, nice. Uh, we, we've been friends for over 25 years. So, I mean, those close friends, some some friends, even though they drink still and go, they're they're supportive of my habits, and that's most important to me, is because I can't affect what I do versus you know what what the path that somebody else does mm-hmm. a lot of times they're not the alcoholic i was always but you know so they understood like yeah you probably should take it easy you know mm-hmm. like yeah you were always kind of a, you know, a loose cannon but yeah so those friends that stuck with me really um really mean a lot but so i moved out here to denver and uh that was 10 years ago now almost it'll be 10 years in february um Hmm. so i ended up uh at first i got a job i had i had a few jobs when i first got out here i worked at a hotel for a while uh setting up for banquets and doing that sort of thing through one of my buddy's friends because I, all I knew was my buddy that lived out here. So one of his buddies, um, set me up with this banquet job. Mm-hmm. I like, so I, but it was only $9 an hour. So I was like, man, I got to work for something else, you know, yes, this ain't working out for me. Plus it was overnight setting up for morning banquets and that sort of thing. So it wasn't working out. Mm-hmm. And I got a job as a gr- graphic designer at, um, in a marketing, uh, department at a telecommunications company out here. They're a telecommunications consulting company. And that worked out really well for two and a half years. And, uh, until I just got too comfortable with my situation, I think. And the drinking just oversided, like, and so, I was drinking during the week, you know, and, um, and then I'd come in like, and at the time I got let go, I, 
I had no idea alcohol had anything to do with it. Now looking back at it, I'm like, yeah, I probably could have, you know, taken my job a little more importantly and probably worked my way up and did this or that. And uh, I definitely was not in the right mindset going in there at 9 a.m., you know, in the morning at, at sometimes. Hmm. So, um, I got out of that and then I was unemployed for a year. I was on unemployment. So I was just using that unemployment money, you know, to pay rent and, and drink pretty much. I was on the liquid diet at that point. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Um, uh, and then, uh, so I was living in, um, at, at first, when the job was going smoothly, I was living with um, just some people I met, met off, uh, like, Craigslist or something in, in a house. Ooh, that, uh, that never ends well. Right, and, <laughs> right, and the price was right, and they had a nice yard, and it was a nice area in the DU area, which is University of Denver, and a little south of uh, Metro downtown. So I thought, oh, okay. Well, one of my buddies moved out from Michigan out here, one of my childhood friends, uh, and he moved out here, and he wanted me to get a place with him. I was like, cool, let's get a place. So me and him and one other guy ended up getting an apartment towards Aurora, Colorado, so it was a little more outside of the city and outside of, you know, uh, the commute and um and at this time i didn't have a job or or at that time i did have a job that's right i i hadn't lost my job quite yet i didn't lose it until i moved in with them mm -hmm. because because they were still looking for jobs and you know they instead of looking for jobs a lot of times they go out and drink and party and so i was just you know but you couldn't stop me. Once I got going, I was gone. Like, mm -hmm. some people can have a couple of drinks and, you know, stop and, like, get their stuff done. But that, was, that wasn't the case for me. You know, I just mm -hmm. drink until I passed out or blacked out and then, you know, wake up the next day with a hangover, sometimes drink again, sometimes drink Gatorade and wait two days and then go back at it, you know. So... Um, so yeah, and I was going downtown a lot, bar hopping, doing that sort of thing. So, and, um, I ended up getting a job at a, at a bar downtown, uh, working security in 2013. So, um, and I know my parents were skeptical at the time. They're like, oh, I don't know if you should get in the restaurant industry again. Mm -hmm. You know, you had your problems because they're worried about me drinking there, and, um, which is understanding. Um, but at the time, I just needed a job. So I worked security there. And uh, and then I, uh, I, I won't dig too deep into it, but I ended up... Uh, driving home one one night from uh, drinking at the bar that I worked at and I I knew all the deals in town, you know, of course. 
that was always my gig. I'd just get all the deals in town and the people that knew me so I could drink for cheap and free. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, I was on my way home and there was a police cruiser or like a, a unmarked police uh, SWAT vehicle um, in front of me. And it stopped to take a left-hand turn, and I rear-ended it. Nice. And and they they had like their tactical gear on and everything, so they got out of their vehicle with their tactical gear on, and I was just like, "Oh man, this is it! I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm caught already." Yeah. So this is I, I just pretty much turned myself in. I, you know, people say don't say any details to the cops. So I, I, I didn't care at that point. I was willing to take the consequences for my actions, and that was always the case with me. If I did something, I was, I was going to hold myself responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was the same instead way. Of, instead of playing the scapegoat and always trying to blame someone, situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, so I went into it and this UI, I got arrested and I, um, they took me in and I had a different vision of it this time. Of course I was two sheets to win once again, but I had a lot of time to think about it and uh, kind of have a self-reflection. And I spent a week in jail before I even, like, got bonded out. Mm-hmm. So um, before I called my parents, uh, which I think I started this podcast with. But um, And when I got out, I just realized, hey, I got to do something different. This isn't doing it for me anymore. I can't go keep going down this road. It's going to lead into me getting injured, me injuring somebody else, or me killing myself or somebody else. Because everyone resulted in an accident. Not to mention, I had, you know, I totaled eight cars over a period of, um, you know, 15 years. Jesus. So, yeah. I mean, a couple of them, of course, were just like stupid errors where I didn't change the oil and burn up engine and that that sort of thing. But I realized that even when I wasn't drinking during those times of like stints of sobriety, my head wasn't was always cloudy, and I never really had the urgency or the um, I I never really made it out to be like, oh, this is my last time I'm doing this, Mm -hmm. you know. But but this third time, I was like, dude, I can't do this anymore. And I got sentenced pretty hard. I got a six-month jail sentence in county jail. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got, you know, community service and... Um, I was on UAs or urine analysis, drug tests, whatever you want to call them, right when I got out on bond. So I I um, had to call in and get random drug tests. And starting off in early sobriety, I was going in every other day to 
take a drug test, you know. So there was no way I was drinking or anything, you know. Yeah. And um, and so I was, let's see, I was six months to drink. And it was in May of 2015. And it was, it was my birthday not my sobriety birthday but my belly button birthday <laughs> in may and i kind of had a recollection and i was like you know what i'm sh- I-, I haven't had a drink i haven't had any drugs but there's something missing in my life and I can't go on like this. So mm-hmm. I was just living a dry, dr- being a dry drunk, as they like to call it. Yep. But so, so I made myself go into a AA room, found the room by myself, went in there without telling anybody. I went to AA. And then I met a few people in there. And for a while, I just sat, you know, and I, I knew I, first time I went in, I didn't relate to the people, so I tried to take a back step and just sit there. So I kind of, I did my 90 and 90. Um, and o- over time, um, I haven't felt the need as much for rooms, but it, I know it's there as a tool if I want it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I do want it because I want to help other people and share my story. For the same reason I'm sharing it with you because I want other people to learn that they can change their ways if they just put their mind to it and kind of um, go about the right path. So I, I continue going through the rooms, but I... I, I just didn't go as frequently. I ended up getting a full-time job. Um, and I'm still there to this day. So, um, and I, I, I ended up not, and at the time I went into the rooms, I hadn't gone to jail yet to serve my six month sentence. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of just waiting until I went to jail and then figuring out from there but at least when I went into jail, I had these tools. So mm-hmm. I had the AA tools and the stuff to bring me, like, so I did a lot of reading and that sort of thing. And I ended up getting on work release in the bar that I was working at actually allowed me to work there during work release, which was a the, god The jail let you out on work release to work at a bar? Yeah. That's- yes. That is very poor. I know. Poor job by the jail. Yeah, but I was wearing an ankle bracelet that monitored all alcohol consumption through mm-hmm. my metabolites and my blood and everything. Yeah. and I was and I was still on these UAs um, quite frequently. So, um, and I would. And I was on work release, so I'd have to go back there every night after work and that sort of thing. And sometimes the buses weren't, because I didn't have a car. So I'd have to get a ride from a manager all the way back to the jail at night sometimes. So they, 
the bar itself, like I, I appreciate them because they, I worked with a couple other sober guys that didn't drink. And so they understood and they really helped me out. And they, um, and so I was, and they would get me work. Like I'd come in and scrub walls just so I'd have something to do just to get me out of jail. Mm -hmm. So, and they were willing to give me as many hours as I could. And, um, so I ended up getting out, um, in about four months or so. I was like on work release for four months and then I was on, um, house arrest for another month after I got out. So it was a long, it was a long stint, but during that time I did a lot of self-reflection, a lot of writing, a lot of reading, um, a lot of self-recovery and, um, Set, set goals. This is what I want to do. This is where. So I was able to get that job when I got out, you know, um, get away from the bar scene. So now I'm in manufacturing. I work for a medical manufacturer, make blood bags and blood components. Nice. Um, and, you know, full benefits and I. I get paid decent, you know, puts a roof over my head, food on the table, and really that's all I need. I'm not really a materialistic person. And everything's going great right now, you know. There's things that I need to improve, but at least I'm aware mm-hmm. of rules in place to fix the things that drove me to drink in the first place. And uh, now I, I never really had the urges or cravings so much. Mm-hmm. It's like more, it was more of a FOMO, like fear of missing out, like of parties or like social interactions and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But over the years, that has kind of diminished. And I, I've learned I'm, I'm a lot more, um, a lot, a lot more introverted than I, and I just need to accept that rather than try to be an extrovert, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I, I keep to myself a lot now, but, you know, I've got involved in other things, you know, and before COVID hit, I, I was volunteering for this and that. That's kind of <clears throat> gone down a little bit, but, I, I I enjoy going to the gym. I exercise a lot, and uh, I'm healthy. I eat healthy, and yeah, I just feel great. So, um, and I I couldn't even imagine going back to drinking at this time, just because just how I feel mentally, physically, spiritually, and um, it really means something just to feel good you know yeah and i don't don't know if i ever had that when i was drinking it was more you know just just to numb the pain you know Mm -hmm. so so i'm very grateful for to be here and i'm I'm glad i'm able to share some of my story with you guys today yeah man yeah all right well, definitely have some questions for you, Eric. Yeah, definitely. Oh, you want me to go first? Fine. All right. Um, go 
Do, do, do. All right. Uh, so you said the first time you went to like AA, you couldn't really relate to the people. So how did you finally, was there uh, something said or what drove you to finally like relate and like buy into recovery? I, I think that at first I just didn't give it a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, one meeting, one or two meetings isn't going to, persuade you like oh this is the route to go mm-hmm. this is the way to be so i over time going to multiple meetings like sometimes i go to a couple in a day and then i i'd stay around the rooms because it was a it's a old it was an old uh like colonial house so they had it was it's devoted just for AA meetings mm-hmm. and NA meetings. So they didn't have anything else going on in that place. So afterwards, everybody would hang around the, the porch outside and smoked. Yeah. I never smoked, but I always hung around with the smokers just because there's good conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I just learned to, you know, take what I needed take what helped me and leave the bullshit behind, you know, leave, leave the stuff that I didn't need to hear in the rooms and realize that some people were in, there were these different um, shades to recovery and different shades to alcoholism. Mm-hmm. It didn't always have to be, I always thought that alcoholic is being a dead, dead be drunk, you know, mm-hmm. and living in like, I never lived on the streets or anything. I always had like some sort of roof over my head, whether it be living on a couch or, you know, I never was in, and I always had my family support, you know? So I never, I, I guess I was fortunate in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, my, cause I wouldn't be in this position as I am today if it wasn't for my family mm-hmm. and for my parents and my siblings. And, and they just were really supportive of me. And, um, yeah, so that just made me want to get sober for not so much. I mean, it was more than myself now. Mm-hmm. If it was just for, cause if it was, I was just doing it for myself, I don't think it would ever happen. Mm. You know, me getting sober because at the time, at that time, I didn't care enough about myself. Mm. Yeah. I cared about other people more than I did myself, you know? Yeah. But when I saw it, when I, when I saw it reflecting on them, I was like, oh man, I can't, I can't put them through this anymore. Yeah. All right. All right. Who's next? I got a question. Um, so you said yeah. that, uh, like AA and the, um, information that you had, it kind of helped you while you were, um, you know, serving your six month sentence and other than like the reading, uh, were there any like tools or, or like just anything that you would learn that helped you kind of navigate th- and like, I don't know, I guess just get through that situation. Uh, yeah, I, when I first, um, it took me a while, but um, during the rooms, I I really stuck to the serenity prayer. Um, okay. And um, just trying to find that courage 
Mm-hmm. to change the things that I can, mm-hmm. you know, because, mm-hmm. and even at the times now I have problems getting that courage because I always had that liquid courage, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I was always a shy, timid person. So I didn't take big risks unless I was drinking, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes now I have a hard time uh, taking, you know, good risks you know, that could make me succeed more in my, um, in my work or in my life. But I, it's, it's that afraid of failure type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or, uh, just, just not having the courage to go out. Like, I know I'm capable of things. And then I'm like, ah, I don't know. I get that. Like, those butterflies in my stomach and I'm like, uh, I don't know if I should go down that road, you know, like yeah. different career path or something because I, I have a, I have a lot of different interests. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, my music is like across the board. Like I don't have one genre that I stick with. You know, I grew up listening to bluegrass with my, my dad plays bluegrass and then rock and roll and like and hip hop. And I, I listen to everything and yeah. that's the same way my life is. And like my interest too, it's like one, one day it will be like, I'm doing a painting the next day I'm playing an ice hockey game. You know? And it's like, I, I never knew a career path to go down because I always wanted to, um, I always want to experience everything. Hmm. I always wanted, you know, I always wanted to do this and it sounded cool after a while until I got bored with it and wanted to go on the next best thing. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but I'm learning, you know, I, I had to re- rekindle myself with, with my faith and just kind of refine my, find myself again yeah, and uh, really my values and what I believed in and that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah, and I, I know what keeps me sober and that's helping others and, you know, exercise and that sort of thing. So I try to focus on that and, you know, and they say live one day at a time, but that's how, that's how I do it just one day at a time and people ask me about future plans and I'm like, I really don't know. I can't tell you at this time, you know, cause I'm not very good at, I, I have goals in mind, but I don't like to put them out there cause it, I feel like it puts more pressure on me. Yeah. Um, or I put more pressure on myself because I told other people that, yeah. uh, I don't know. It, it I think it's the little mind trick that I play on myself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, so, you know, I heard you mention the rooms a little bit and, um, I, I believe you brought up celebrate as well. How would you describe your typical week in recovery as it is right now? Um, you know, what, what are the things that you're doing for your recovery on a daily basis? So, um, for my recovery, um, I, uh, it, it's been hard to get to the rooms. Um, 
with COVID and everything around here. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's kind of been put on the back burner past month or so. But um, besides that, um, and I still don't get me wrong. Is even though I don't go to the rooms, I still read the big book, you know, religiously, and I still go on the principles, and I still carry that serenity prayer everywhere I go, you know, like, on a daily basis, like, I recite it to myself in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes it just makes me feel better, and, you know, hey, I can't control this, let this, let, let this go, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't need to be in control all the time. And um, I do, when I wake up, I, I do meditation and I do, like I said, it rekindled my faith. So I I was going to church sometime and I've done some Zoom, uh, some Zoom meetings as well, which are good, but it's not the same for me anyways. Being kind of shy, not really outspoken. I don't know. I, I got to get used to being on video, I guess. I don't know. But, um, uh, yeah, so I, I do much better person in person, I think. But I, I've been working full time during this entire uh, period. So, nice. uh, that helps, that helps a lot too, because mm-hmm. a lot of times, I'm doing manual labor, so I go to work, and uh, I actually work nights, so I have to go to work tonight. Oh, so shit. I, um, yeah, I'm on the night shift. So during the day, like most people are working, and I'm just usually working on some design stuff, and then I get my sleep, and I, uh, I go to the gym on a daily basis. Uh, sometimes I don't get there every day, but I try to get there, you know, at least four days a week. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just feel better about myself if I keep busy, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'm working on, uh, learning the guitar, um, and I, and I do drawing and I do painting and I do design on my computer and, um, I I enjoy I enjoy a lot of things. So I I like to get out for hikes in the mountains and that sort of thing. And, um, so when I can, um, yeah, I, I like to get out. I, I'm more of an outdoors person. Uh, I'm an indoors person, so I don't really sit around and wallow away a whole lot anymore these days. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we do have another podcast coming up, so we we do have to cut you a little bit short. But we'd like to thank you for joining us tonight, man. No worries. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you guys, and I hope I uh, helped some people out out there. And uh, um, yeah, yeah, awesome. Very cool. Over to you, Allie. Is that me? Yeah, it is you. All right. So we would like to thank you, Ben, for joining us tonight here at Podcast Recovery. We are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful service 
is paramount in combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide that. Fantastic job. Thank you. Good job for your first number. Eric was like turning to, yeah, absolutely. Have a good, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. What am I doing? You're stumbling a little bit. Are you okay? Oh, was it me? It was that, it was such a soothing voice. It was. (laughs) So here at Podcast Recovery, we do need your help. We do. To uh, help keep the uh, mics on. Join the home group. So, um, like, like, like what you're hearing over here. Uh, you can join the home group through our Patreon page, which you can find in the description below, or you can throw some money in the digital basket through our PayPal account. Um, you can also like, subscribe, comment, follow, share. Um, I'm sure there's some other things I'm just not thinking about on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else you can find Podcast Recovery. Please leave a review, like, and subscribe mm-hmm. to anywhere you also are listening to this podcast. Absolutely. And if you'd like to come on, shoot us a message. And for more information about Eric, Carly, Ali, and myself, go to podcastrecovery.com for all of your recovery needs. Uh, but most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean. Nailed it.